In Common With podcasts are produced as art work. These podcasts are a collaboration between In Common With and the 1968 film group for Depth for Dex 2019. Welcome to In Con With Podcast. My name is Neil Ferguson and today I'm in conversation with uh, Drew Adams. Would you like to introduce yourself, Drew? Sure. The, uh, I'll give just details of myself which are relevant to what we're going to talk about. Yeah. So uh, it's mainly the music related stuff, I guess. The, uh, I'm not a professional musician, but I've had a lifelong interest in music. And uh, I've played a bit, mainly jazz and mainly the guitar. So, uh, and I've also dabbled a bit in making musical instruments uh, on an amateur basis. Been to a few courses at West Dean College near Chichester. The, uh, in terms of composition, which is another interest of mine, I've sort of studied it all my life. I mean, I, I retired early after 32 years with a, a corporate, an oil company. And uh, that gave me the chance to do a bit of study of composition. So I did that over a three-year period with uh, the Open College of the Arts, mm. who were based in Barnsley at the time. So uh, that's, uh, that's probably the most useful piece of background for this session, and I won't go into any more. Yeah. Do you have a, did you have a, a kind of preference, like a go-to type of music? That the, uh, well, I like all sorts. I mean, everybody's, and there's lots of people say that, you know, they have eclectic tastes. But uh, obviously, as a, a boy, I mean, I got my first guitar at 12. And at that point, you know, you're playing pop tunes from the 60s. Uh, but I pretty much got into jazz. And, uh, and that, uh, I guess, has been a main lifelong interest. So uh, on, the, on the jazz side, and, you know, I like it. It's probably based on the fact that my learning was never formal. So it's always been self-study. And uh, I like to improvise and make things up. It's uh, easier than trying to read music a lot of the time. Yeah. So I guess the improvisation, the jazz thing, is, is probably the biggest influence. Mm. So, like, we worked on an InCon with collaboration, InCon with 10. And it was, it was the original stages of it. We, we kind of, it was, formed, it was formed by a, a, both of us visiting, almost by chance, the, 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 the tank rooms. At the Tate Modern. At Tate Modern. Yeah. We went to see, and when we went in there, we, I think I initially took him to see a performance piece of work which didn't, I had moved on probably about a yeah. year before or something. But uh, the actual um, the work on display was by Tari Katui, and I found out since that the, the title was The Reverse Sessions, which essentially were, it was a, a large room full of uh, scu- almost like sculptural pieces that. Uh, that you could pl- were playable, they were although right. disappointing at that day was that nobody was actually able to play them. But they, they had a, a tremendous visual kind of uh, presence, and you know, and I hadn't previously completely considered that how I could have anything to do with uh, you know linking type of work, my interest in art to a kind of sound sound piece. So it was very much a, your kind of suggestion. And I'll just elaborate for a minute. I'd also been working myself on a set of very small drawings dealing with the senses, which were non-figurative. They were abstract drawings um, based on, you know, just taste, sound, you know, based touch. 
And I remember at the time you said, "Oh, you should send me some drawings, and I'll have a look at that." Can you? Yeah, can yeah. You elaborate I, I, I remember the looking at these uh, sculptures, and uh, and yeah, you're right. I think that prompted us to talk about. Obviously, I've been to a few of your Incon events. Yeah. Prompted us to talk about doing something linking art in in the sort of you know the visual sense sculpture drawing with music, which of course was my main interest. So uh, and then you know talking about that, I think we had a number of ideas of the sort of things you could do. You know, there's all sorts of stuff that has been done, like graphic scores and mm. you know people just playing pictures. You're looking at a picture and you treat yeah. it a graphic score and you play your conventional instrument, but. Um, and initially, I sort of dismissed what we saw at the Tate as, you know, they looked very fancy, all these sculptures, but in a way, they need to be musical instruments. You couldn't really see a connection directly between what we saw there and music. But uh, I changed my mind, actually, after maybe we looked at some of your drawings, but the idea of actually designing and building a musical instrument, which was basically dictated, the design was dictated by one of your drawings, mm. is something we came up with. Mm -hmm. I do remember meeting at the, the foyer at the Royal Festival Hall, where you brought along a good batch, 120 of these things, yes. I think it was, and we looked through them, and I was looking for certain features in these drawings that would be, that would mean that if you built an instrument from it, the sounds you would get and the pitches would be dictated by the shape that I saw. And uh, yeah, I did take them home and think about it a bit more, scan them all so I could, you know, use them on a computer and uh, get them back to you so I didn't lose them. And we, we sort of went from there. I think we met a few times to discuss exactly what to do. But I, I think I identified uh, uh, a number of shapes which I thought would work. And then it was a case of seeing if we could build the instruments and then what happened next. I always liked the, the kind of giving them a the thing, the, the process, a title. You know, the, the one that always sort of resonated with me, the transformational process of drawings turning into musical instruments. You know, sure, you know yeah, yeah. But there was also a kind of a comment you once made, which I, 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 I again, I have gotten, I've noted it. This piece of music, sounds, tones, could only have been created by using this drawing as a basis for this instrument. Like we'll probably go on to, to that more, but there was that thing of, of the, the, the connection between the drawing being made into uh, a, an object that could be played in some way, shaken, whatever, you know, again I can elaborate on that, and then turned into something else, just seemed to be, you know, like it was a I was majorly, I thought it was really difficult, I hadn't considered it, and until you started kind of making the things, I hadn't actually seen the potential in them as actually ever been something that you'd actually form sounds from. Sure. Now, at that time, you once spoke to me about um, that essentially sounds can be anything, which was obviously something that people know. But you, you, you kind of started breaking instruments up for me in a way that I, I hadn't quite considered it in a, in a way. Again, as a non-musician, it's sure. the thing you, you know, like you, you, you're talking about percussion objects, you know, things that we struck. Would you, you, can you elaborate on this? Yeah, that's, I mean, there's various types. You, you look at these drawings, you're thinking, how would you turn this into an instrument? What would you do? Would you put strings in it? Would you uh, put uh, like wooden blocks like a xylophone? Would you put metal pipes, like a tubular bells, uh, 
would it be a shape uh, which maybe would have a, a drum head and would hence have a tone because of the drum head's configuration, you get a certain tone out of it. Uh, would it be an object, or like we did make a couple of shakers, which, you know, the actual cavity within the body of the shaker, it was based on the design of the drawing. So you get a resonance that uh, is dictated essentially by the shape of the drawing. But at the time, I was quite surprised how truthful the actual objects were to the drawings. Oh, yeah, you know, that's you know, right. like, like, you know, obviously, when I was doing the drawings, I was aware of the general shape. There'd be often that rather artistic uh, freedom to make a mark here, and you, 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 know, you interpret it into something that could be used to to flick or blow yeah, into, yeah. Or, you know, add a pipe to sure. you know, that, that could be pitched. So you made, went ahead and you, how many of these did you make? Well, we made, uh, we made seven actual instruments, although one of them incorporated a couple of pipes because you had conveniently drawn a sort of very thin rectangle. <laughs> and I thought, well, if you look at that and you assume it's two pipes stacked on top of each other, then we actually made a couple of pipes out of, out of copper. Uh, one was a tin whistle type because I had a tin whistle type mouthpiece and the other was purely the open end which you had to blow like the Arab Ney and the result of two pipes like that with different lengths well it was the same overall length but of course the fact that you had a mouthpiece uh, meant you got two different keys so it did open up also the possibility of additional notes when it came to playing or composing music yeah. but it was important maybe I should just say I thought to me it was important that you actually had an instrument that was designed as per the drawing and then you lived with whatever tuning and pitches and sounds came with it without trying to interfere with it in some way. So although you can get fancy shaped instruments and of course what we saw at the Tate Modern was like that, the, uh, and if you think of some of the 1970s glam rock guitars that you saw in the hands of the guitarist from like Slade or Mud, yeah. You know, it might be a, sh a heart shape with an arrow through it or a star, yeah. but at the you know the heart of it was still a a guitar with it's strong the same yeah six strings of guitar yeah. and it sounds like a guitar. So that to me was pointless. It yeah. had to be a shape that actually then created the sounds, and it was it's a, almost like a unique one to one mapping from the shape to the ultimate sound. Yeah. So so we went to, and we actually yes yeah, sorry we we'll go back uh, to the original question. We've actually made these seven instruments, of which uh, you, you then got nine. The uh, shall I explain the instruments just now? Well, be, uh, I think I think just softly we'll go on to the next stage where we're not fact. But these are really like these became very sculptural-looking things. They did, them yeah. And the the big problem for me as a non-musician was it became very obvious that we would have to play these. Yes, yeah, there's which, no getting which, away from we them. We couldn't, you know, they were, they were musical instruments. And so that, which again was quite daunting, right? You know, you know banging thing with a stick and mm. a drum, the drum I took to perhaps not as well as I would like to believe I did because I was starting to realise that drumming picks up, requires different forms of counting and beating. Yeah. But uh, th this thing, so this, this thing of moving, um, you're moving into playing with the instruments and then experimenting. Could I say that we needed to know what the instruments would let us do? Uh, I think so, yes. I mean, I think that's fair enough. You, you know, to look at them, it could be a bit daunting for even a, you know, a musician who's used to a conventional instrument, let alone somebody who isn't. 
Uh, I think I remember having constructed a few of them, the tubular bells and then one of the zithers and maybe the shaker or whatever, that uh, I think I picked you up in Horsham one day at a station and we mm. went back to my place. And, and you'd seen photos of them, but you know there they were in real life. And that was the point where we had to start laying our hands on them and seeing what sounds we could make. Yeah. And it's... Uh, and of course, the, for instance, the zither, which had uh, 19 strings, all in unusual positions, it's pretty hard for you to, uh, to actually just intuitively play it and know exactly what's going to happen. You have to experiment uh, with it until you hear the sounds and work out what harmonies are available if, if you're that uh, way inclined musically. And uh, so, yeah, there, to try and uh, to start the process, I think we had quite a bit of experimentation, just I think, trial playing. I think that was really, for me, that was vital. There was a freedom to not feel the need to play them well. You know, obviously, although no, I'm not a musician, I've listened to lots of music, and I, I was quite concerned, that I, some, not concerned about how I was playing. I always felt I would try and give the ownership of the playing of these objects to other people. And yeah. I think that raised, started to move us to that whole discussion of how we should actually construct, what structures we could offer to someone, like, you know, in terms of a score. Yeah. You know, and, and then you, as you, as you alluded to earlier, like people have tried to play drawings, played all sorts of things. Sure. But I was always slightly concerned how far people would move away from my feeling of the set, you know, how I was trying to touch on with the senses in, 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 in the drawings and how that would, you know, transfer itself. Like, how would, how would how do you feel the first sets of, 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 of actually composing really started to take place? Uh, the composing, uh, well, there were, uh, if you like, there's more than one way of composing, but uh, the, uh, you know, once again, it was experimental. And if I, uh, if I maybe uh, talk about the three main compositions that we did, uh, we, leading up to the actual event itself, the idea was to at least have something to play people as a soundtrack for the event. So uh, we actually came up with three compositions which are actually all notated in Sibelius software and then recorded. The uh, Just talk about the first composition yeah. first maybe, shall I? Yeah, Come I think it'll be a good time. Yeah, you know, know, I think we're going to be listening to can hear a couple of two or three tracks and I think it might, if you introduce it that would be really good too. Okay. Well, the first composition was actually derived because looking at the zither, which was the most uh, complicated uh, instrument and maybe the most comprehensive, uh, it had 19 strings, all with different uh, notes. And uh, I worked out the whole, every combination of three or four note chords you could get from the zither and whacked it into the Sibelius software and just listened to it over and over to hear what was, what was in there. And uh, in fact, I, I did this leading up to going to, uh, to the Dartington Summer School where I was going to be in, in with a tutorial with the composer Howard Skempton. And I wanted to see if there was anything that would come out of that which would help. And for that, I ultimately prepared uh, a chord sequence that could be played on the zither that uh, would also might have been used for compositional material in the tutorial. It never got used, as it turns out, but you know, when I came home from that, I was able to use it. So I had an initial sequence of 16 chords that listening to them sounded attractive to my ear. And then we subsequently reduced that and then we started working on the composition together 
to just uh, 11 chords and then a 12 note zither melody that went over the top which I think we liked and so then uh, from that we actually just took that melody and then added different harmonies and layers from the other instruments that we had so we introduced the bass zither uh, we introduced the tubular bells there was a bit of shaker going on and the multi-headed drum that we did as well so that was introduced so uh, if we maybe just play a little audio sample here what you'll hear is the initial melody and then the start of the first iteration it will then fade out and then it'll come back in again to the final iteration of the melody with all the layers of the harmony and all the instruments playing So that was uh, the composition one, which uh, quite minimalist really. There's not uh, an, an ambient, you know, a bit of an ambient soundscape, but uh, certainly maybe different from some more conventional music and the result of you know using these somewhat unusual instruments. So. And they were, it must have been it must have been quite difficult for you to work. With. You know, you know, a lot of these were slightly negotiated. You know where you know, where I was for some reason had an opinion. Yeah, you know, like, you know where bit it. You know, there, there was I that. Count on that. There was that. No, no. <laughs> no it's, I'm not sure if I should praise myself, but there was a. You know, there was that piece of it, yeah. which I think we both spoke about. That I actually enjoyed that space of the minimalist thing, where sure. you know, that where the, where the notes and the sounds of instruments were allowed to resonate. Rather than rolling them into one another, sure. again, I wouldn't, I wouldn't boast what that's based on. But it was nice to hear the actual potentials of the, you know the sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of allowing them to ring on the notes, yeah. and uh, which I think was good. The the next composition that was uh, done in a much uh, in a much more different way. It's uh, it's not entirely original because I think when we went to that uh, is it Rio Angie, the John Cage thing at yes. Mayfair, that exhibition where he drew round stones from a Japanese garden 
and then he would take these images and he'd almost overlay them on a musical stave and it created a graphic score for people to play. I mean, what we did, and you did an, a lot of this in your yeah. own time, is take various images, drawings that have not been used to make the instruments, but drawings which you could overlay on an image of the instrument. And when you get uh, points which on the drawing which coincided with, if you use the zither to overlay, points that co coincided with the zither string images, then you can come up with notes. It's a selection of notes from the instrument which could be then used as melodic or harmonic material. So we use one of your mechanoreceptors and stretch receptors drawings to put over an image of the zither. And from points on that, where we had a coincidence, we got two sequence of notes. Sequence one being a E flat, two E flats, a B flat, a D and a C, and then sequence two being an E flat, an E, an F, a D and an A, all in different octaves. And uh, so we actually just use them uh, in sequence, the, the two, repeatedly with additional harmony notes that were added to create this, this, this piece. And uh, the audio sample you know, we'll just play just now is just the first of the iterations of the two sequences, which will then fade. So that uh, composition, that uh, would then go on, it went on a bit longer with additional layers, some variations, a bit of digital electronic treatment to one of the zither sounds that added, you know, an extra dimension, which I quite liked. But I think it's fair to say that, you know, if you didn't have these instruments uh, to prompt and this method to prompt the melodic sequence, I don't think it's a melodic sequence you would naturally have come up with because it... It's not necessarily pleasing to the ear, particularly the second bit where it gets it sounds a little bit clunky and dissonant. But uh, in a way, it's uh, you know you listen to it repeatedly, and it, you know you begin to accept that uh, yeah maybe it sounds okay. Do you think that made us look at the, the rules? Were we imposing rules, strict rules at this stage to the construction of these pieces? Or? Yeah, th I think that one was one of the stricter ones, where rather than just take the initial sequence and uh, and mess about with them then uh, you know we would uh, we would actually just use it directly as it came off the mapping okay let's go into the th final Third, final yeah. one yeah the taste two composition this one once again it was another drawing uh, laid over the image of the zither we just got five notes out of that d e flat e f and g which imply three chords using you know conventional harmony D minor, A flat major, E minor, and I used these to experiment the guitar with to get a chord progression, and then we got a bit of a tune in classic A B A B form. 
So uh, what we'll just hear is the final half of that. So that, that track was, was called Taste Two. That Taste was two. based on your drawing that was itself yeah. entitled Taste Two. So that's uh, I think a little bit different from the the other two. Maybe a bit livelier, almost jolly. Yeah. I think you know I, I think when we were messing about with it in the studio, I think uh, we ended up humming it at times. So yeah. it could almost be a bit of an earworm. Yeah, it's a. But uh, it was always like for me it was became very difficult where I actually was opening myself into the whole breadth of, of what music actually you know, allows you're yeah. putting any groups of notes and pieces together yeah. and it, you know we've spoken about the potentials but arguably that perhaps we did try to be more too melodic or whether it could have been more minimalist do you have any views on that i think uh, i think that what we just heard there there was you know a, a, an element of variety uh, I think we could have gone much further if we'd had the time to do. Uh, we could have created new other instruments certainly, and we could have uh, then you know maybe increased the range of notes that were available for us to compose from. The uh, we could have experimented more. I think uh, we used the images of drawings to generate melodic material. We could have spent more time actually just hands-on playing until we heard things we liked, documented that, and then used them in, in actual, uh, in actual uh, compositions themselves. The, uh, that did lend itself to, uh, to uh, improvisation, and when we had the event itself, people had a hands-on experience of that. So the, uh, the, that, that went reasonably well. Once again, it could have uh, gone a bit more. For my own part, uh, I, some, I, I think there was a, a kind of confidence thing you know, of not having played instruments. Sure. It, it's, it's funny with time. I know these tracks now, and they they don't. I, you know, like I, I have a I have greater sympathy for them now than at the time. Sure. I was actually quite frightened by them, and I, I now I'm only now beginning to see that the potentials even sure. in the way we were working. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do, do you sense that like you know, like where where could, where could this be developed? Yeah, I, I mean, but not just ourselves, but other people in a way. Well, the concepts there for people to take drawings and come up with instruments and 
you know it's uh, it's, it's limitless but uh, for myself I, I I have thought about trying to do more compositions using what we have uh, I'd also point out that I, I realized at one point that you, you didn't actually have to make the instruments really to come up with the pitches that were available because you could just uh, compute them theoretically you know by by looking at the design the shape the size of potential strings or bells that were on them and work out mathematically what that pitch would be so uh, that's that's something I had thought about exploring as well I might take more of your drawings and try and do that do you think? Yeah. Yeah. So. thank you very much too you're welcome <laughs>